Hear the word of God. The next day again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Recognition is the first human quest. That's what Andy Crouch says. He's a, he's a, a thinker, an author, a writer. He says, recognition is the first human quest. And then he points out that when an infant is born, if, if it's a typical delivery without a lot of complications for the baby, there's usually quite a bit of crying initially, but then the, the infant goes into what doctors call a quiet calm. Quiet calm. And those of you who are parents, you might remember experiencing that with your with your newborn, um, at first there's, there's crying, but then there's just this kind of stillness that comes over the baby, and the baby's eyes are open, and even though it can only focus like just a few inches away from its face, it's, it's looking for something, it's, it's searching for something, and, and what is it searching for? You know? It's searching for a face, yeah, who said that? Face. Yeah, it's searching for a face. Um, the infant is looking for a face that's gazing back at it. And as soon as it sees the face, uh, it just locks on. It fixes its gaze at the one who is looking at it. The psychiatrist, Kurt Thompson, says that this initial desire for a face, it really doesn't stop. He says, we are all born into the world looking for someone, looking for us and we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. Isn't that interesting? Like, 
always looking for someone looking for us. Like we, we want to see someone who sees us. We want to give our attention to someone who's giving their attention to us. Where our passage picks up, John the Baptist has been preparing the way for Jesus. Uh, remember, remember what's going on here. I mean, John the Baptist had his own disciples. And when he sees Jesus passing by, he points to Jesus and he says, look, there's the Lamb of God. And so two of John the Baptist students leave John and they begin to follow Jesus. One of them is Andrew. The other is not named. It might be the author of the gospel. It might be John himself. We'll see as we go through John that often there's this kind of mystery disciple who's never named and some people speculate maybe that's John writing himself in but not wanting to draw attention to his own name. In any case, these two guys, they leave John the Baptist and they begin to follow Jesus. And then we come to verses 38 and 39. And I'm just going to read these again because I want to focus on these verses with you. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So let's just follow this brief, but I think really profound exchange between Jesus and these two disciples. First of all, they start following him, but notice that he stops and he turns and he sees them. It's like they're searching for a face that is searching for them. And he, and he directs his gaze at them. Do you know this morning that he sees you too? <laughs> that the one that you search for sees you. Exactly where you are. With all that you're struggling with. With all that you're dealing with. Jesus stops. And he turns and he sees you. And then he asks this penetrating question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? These are, these are the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. What are you seeking? It could also be translated, what are you searching for? It could also be translated, what do you desire? What do you want? What do you want? But not like, what do you want? But like, what are you, what are you after? What do you want? Um, Jesus knows that we are people of longing. Uh, that we carry with us deep desires and that these desires that we carry with us actually shape our lives. They form our lives. Uh, they inform all the little decisions we make day in and day out. They're what motivate us to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, they inform decisions about who we'll spend our time with and how we'll spend our time. Our desires shape how we see and understand the world. A lot of our desires are really good. Like, my guess is that most of us in this room long for things like beauty and truth, justice. Like, we long for a world uh, in which our relationships are right with each other and right with God. We desire health for ourselves, wholeness. We don't just want it for ourselves. We, we want it for others too, right? Like we want the whole world to flourish. We long for meaningful creative work that uh, contributes to the world's flourishing. 
We long for communities in which we're known, in which we're loved. Like we have so many desires, so many longings. I wonder as we begin this new year, what desires are shaping your life? What, what desires are, are, are driving you? Do, do you know? Could you name some of those deep desires? Like what are you seeking? What is it that you really want? A lot of our desires are good, but we also know that our desires can go wrong. Uh, they can be bent out of shape. You know, last week we talked about missing the mark, sin as missing the mark, and, and that's really about desire that's aimed at the wrong target or aimed at the right target but maybe in the wrong way. I mean, we have all experienced desires in our lives and our hearts that are really at odds with the work of the Spirit in us. A lot of our desires are wrapped up in fear and pride and lust and selfish ambition. You remember in the Bible story, desire goes wrong pretty early on. Uh, God and humanity are with each other in the Garden of Eden. Things are good and right and the world is flourishing. But then it's like humans begin to desire the gifts of God apart from desiring God. It's like somehow those two things get separated. You remember the snake shows up and he tells them that they can have things that are really good, things like godlikeness, things like wisdom. But they can have that by moving away from God in disobedience to him instead of having those in communion with God, relying on God, trusting in him. And so we read this, that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. See, they desired God-likeness, but they didn't want God. Um, they desired the gifts of God without wanting to live with God in a relationship of trust. And, and that story has just repeated itself kind of over and over again down to the present day. I mean, uh, we were singing about the Prince of Peace. Everybody wants peace. Most people want peace. I guess there's some people who are just really crazy for war. But, but even, even wars usually are waged for the sake of peace. Um, it's a weird way to go about getting peace. But even wars usually, no one wants to be in war forever. Everyone wants peace. Not everyone wants the Prince of Peace. Everyone wants justice. Have you noticed that? Like, there's no one saying, we just want a world filled with injustice. Um, everybody wants justice, but not everyone wants to submit their lives to the Lord of perfect justice. Have you noticed that everyone thinks love is a great thing? No one says, oh, we hate love. Love is horrible. Love stinks. No, everyone, everyone, um, everyone desires love uh, not everyone wants to let the God who is himself love re reveal and define what love is, what love looks like. Because our desires so often go wrong, it's easy to make the mistake of thinking that desire itself is the problem. Like sometimes we're uncomfortable talking about our desires, what we really want. Um, sometimes we ignore our desires because we're worried of what might surface if we pay attention to them. For us, there's often a lot of shame 
wrapped up in what our deepest desires are because we are so aware of how those deepest desires have been sometimes twisted and bent out of shape. But desire itself isn't the problem. Uh, Jesus would have us pay attention to our desires. In fact, this question about desire is one that Jesus asks again and again throughout his ministry. He would often invite people to name their desire in his presence. So like think of um, Jesus' encounter with blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Jesus asks this blind man who is crying out for help, what do you want me to do for you? Which is, which is strange, right? Because you would think it's obvious. Like, he wants to see, but, but there's something important about Bartimaeus identifying that desire and naming it in the presence of Jesus. In a few weeks, we'll look at a passage in John chapter 5 where Jesus encounters a man who has not been able to walk for 38 years. And, and we see the same thing. Jesus asks this man, do you want to be healed? I mean, our assumption would kind of be, of course he wants to be healed, but Jesus, Jesus wants this guy to really do some soul searching. Do you want to be healed? Is that what you desire? He's asking for these guys to get in touch with the deep desires of their heart and then to name them in his presence. In the same question, family, it comes to us. Jesus is saying, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? What do you desire? Um, this is a question that Jesus cares about. I wonder, I wonder if you've thought about that, that Jesus cares about what you want. He cares about what you desire. He cares about the deep longings of your heart. Jesus invites us to identify those and to share our desires with him, to name our desires in his presence. So I, I just want to encourage you um, to take some time this week to do that as, a, as just kind of like a spiritual exercise to get some time alone with Jesus and to invite Jesus by his spirit to search your heart and to get in touch with your desires and then to actually name that desire in the presence of Jesus. What are you seeking? What do you want? What are you after? So Jesus asked this question to the two disciples and he asked that question to us. Now look at how they respond. Uh, they answer with a question of their own. They say, teacher, where are you staying? Now on one level, uh, you know, that could just be taken as an inquiry about Jesus' current residence. Where are you staying? What we'll see as we move through John is that uh, John is just kind of rich in meaning. There, there's always kind of a superficial level of reading, and then there's, there's a reading that is just, it's, it's right there, but it's not superficial. Um, in John's gospel, this word, staying, becomes a really important word. It's already been used uh, in the passage we read last week. I don't have it in front of me right now, but John the Baptist is bearing witness to Jesus, and he says to his disciples, this is the one who um, I saw the Spirit basically like remain on, stay on. The, the Spirit comes and stays on Jesus. And now we're seeing the word here. It's a word that means staying or remaining or abiding. Abiding. This is the same, the exact same word that will, that uh, John picks up in, 
chapter 15, when Jesus invites his disciples to abide in him as branches abide in the vine. Same word. And so it's like John is here showing us in the response of these two disciples, I think, the model answer to the question about desire. It's like their answer to Jesus' question is, is maybe the best one that there is, that their desire, John is wanting us to see, is um, not misshapen desire, but it's desire that is aimed at the right target. What are you seeking? They're saying, we're seeking you. We want to know where you're abiding so that we can abide with you. That's their desire. And that's really significant. I mean, they could have given other answers. They could have said, uh, Jesus, we want to do things for you. But no, their desire isn't first to do things for Jesus. Um, their desire isn't first to be used by Jesus for something great. I think that's a temptation for us who have been following Jesus for a while. Um, to, to make our desire not first to be with Jesus, but first to be used by Jesus. To do great things for Jesus. They say, that's not, that's not their desire. That's not what they're asking about. They don't say, how can, we, how can we serve you? How can we do things for you? They just say, where are you? We want to abide with you. Um, they also don't say, we want to get things from you, Jesus. See, they're not interested in being used by Jesus, but they're also not interested in using Jesus for their own selfish ends. It's not, it's not about um, doing things for Jesus. It's not about getting things from Jesus. What's their desire? It's to be with Jesus, to abide with Jesus, to know where he is so that they can be there with him. How does Jesus respond to this desire to be with them? How do you worry he'll respond? I think sometimes one of our worries is that Jesus will turn us away. We really want to be with Jesus. And Jesus will say, eh, maybe some other time. Not today. I'm too busy. I've got running the world on my mind. Don't have time for you today. See, I mean, Jesus never says that. He responds to their desire to be with him with an invitation. Come and you will see. Come and see. That's the invitation. That's the answer Jesus gives to the deep longing of our heart. Tell us where you're abiding so that we can be with you. He just says, come and see. In one sense, there's not a lot of security in that answer from Jesus. It's kind of like uh, God's first call to Abraham. Do you remember that? He, God comes to Abraham before he's Abraham, when he's still Abram, and he says, I'm calling you away from everything that you know, from everything that's familiar to you, and I'm leading you to a place I will show you. And Abraham says, well, where? And God says, come and see. Like, you have to just start moving and going and then you'll find out. This isn't the answer a magic genie would give, right? It's not instant gratification where we name the desires of our heart and then they're just immediately realized. Um, instead, Jesus invites these two and he invites us to a journey of abiding with him. 
in one sense, there's not a lot of security, but in another sense, don't you see, family, like this is the ultimate security because this is the one who knows us and who loves us. This is the one who, uh, just like with Nathaniel, like he sees us. He sees us when we're under the fig tree, even before we start following him. This is the face we've been searching for. This is the face that turns toward us and that sees us. Like we're all looking for someone, looking for us, and here he is. Here he is. He sees us, he knows us, and he invites us to be with him. Do you know that Jesus wants to be with you? I wonder if you know that. I wonder if you trust that. I wonder if you believe it, that Jesus desires your presence. And so he invites you to follow him and to abide with him. Responding to that invitation from Jesus requires personal commitment. Like, you can't find out where Jesus is staying by just sitting on the sidelines and observing. You can't find out where Jesus is staying by just wondering about it real hard. Hmm, wonder where Jesus is. The way to find out where Jesus is is to go with him, to follow him. Uh, these two students do it. Look at verse 39. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him. Like they just started abiding with Jesus Christ. And we can stay with Jesus too. And uh, I want to do a little bit of open source preaching because I think that you all have things to teach me and that we have things to teach each other. Like in this is a new year. It's still, it's still kind of the new year, right? Like January, midway through January, it's a new year. I feel like this is an invitation for us as individuals and as a community this year to abide with Jesus Christ in, um, well, I don't want to say new ways because maybe there are ancient old ways, but like to attend to that, to make that a priority. Uh, I wonder how will you do it? I wonder how have you done it? And I want to just invite you to like share out loud. How do you actually abide with Jesus Christ? Because it's, it's kind of a weird concept, right? Like, we're not first century Jews who have a teacher who we can follow around uh, the Judean countryside. But the invitation for us is to abide with Jesus. And so, tell me how to do it. You've got to turn off the TV first. <laughs> you have to turn off your TV first. In fact... Yeah, remind me to come back and share a little story about that. Yeah, okay. Turn off your TV first, or maybe turn off your phone first. All alone. How else? In uh, conflict, forgiveness, and reconciliation with people. Okay. Especially the last one. Uh -huh. We've got to make it there. Yeah, so forgiving and reconciling and conflict. conflicts. Yeah. 
How do you make your home with Jesus? How do you abide with him? I have a quiet time. Yeah. Okay, yeah, say more about that, Harry. Well, basically, you this is what you need, but you also need a way of how to read it. So there's there daily Bible study. And helps to have that, helps to have even a concordance or have a Bible that has a lot of great good study notes. I got this archaeological Bible um, and I did years ago. And I and this, Tons of information about the background of what you're reading in scripture with Jesus uh, and the environment he was in, you know, in Old Testament times. And it's just amazing stuff. It blows your mind. But, you know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, that, that's important. Yeah, it's, and, and that's like an ancient way. Like, this is one of the ways that the church has always. Um, practiced abiding in Jesus is through um, through scripture, right? I mean, initially hearing it, because most people didn't have their own Bibles, but hearing God's word read over and over again, immersing themselves in, in scripture, but, but now, what a gift that we have the word of God in so many different formats. Um, and so if you don't already have a plan for abiding with Jesus um, through, his, through the written word, I'd encourage you to um, try to build that habit into your life this year. What else? What are other ways? Um, time. Time. Yeah. Like giving Jesus time. Yeah, just like, like I'm saying like, how, how do I put it? Like just, like in the morning, wake up, like you, you read the Bible, and then you can just read the Bible through the day and just any. You don't have to have a set time for Jesus because you, you don't have a set time for you. You, just, you can just do it anytime. Anytime. Yeah, so. yeah I love that, Lewis. Yeah, and that's, that's actually another um, kind of like all the, all the great um, all the great abiders in church history knew this, that there is a way of um, turning our attention to Jesus everywhere, anywhere, all the time. Uh, and, and his promise is always to be with us, right? Like he promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so I'm thinking of this book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And there, and there's so many others who have learned that skill of throughout the day in all kinds of situations, turning their thoughts to the reality that God is with us as Jesus Christ and abiding in his presence. And so you can do that at work, you can do that at school, that you can do that parenting little kids, you can do that with your friends, you can do that with your spouse. And there are all kinds of ways to abide with Jesus just in the everyday, ordinary life that we live. What else? Now we have... Yeah, think about the Holy Spirit. I mean, <coughs> you live with Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's such a huge part of it, right? Like Jesus, um, we can't follow him around physically, but when Jesus leaves, he says, I'm sending you another one who is going to make me present to you, the Holy Spirit, comforter. So yeah, um, that's, that's how all of this happens, isn't it? What else? Small group time. Yeah, community. Yeah, that's huge. 
you'll notice that um, Jesus often went off by himself, but he also never called disciples to follow him as like these isolated individuals. Like, so abiding with Jesus can sometimes be something that you do alone, but um, kind of the, the meat is often when we're abiding with Jesus together in community. So getting a group of brothers and sisters around you, that's a great, um, if you're not in a small group, if you don't have people in your life who know you, who can ask you hard questions, who can encourage you, maybe that's a goal for 2023, a habit to build in. Kelly. Um, I mean, God often speaks to me in music, but I think that the, that the main thing is just to give them permission to, to speak to you, you know, because you never know when that moment's going to be, and if you're not waiting, yeah. then you're never here. Yeah, that's so good. I found that a lot of that for me has to do with attention. You know, it's like we actually decide. Um, how we focus our attention. And we can actually like, practice focusing our attention in certain ways. And so getting into a habit of turning our attention to God and asking, is there something that you're wanting to say to me right now or something that you're wanting me to do right now? Yeah, that's huge. I'm listening, but it's, it's sort of like yours, but not. But like some days, sometimes during my day, I'll hear this little word. Mm -hmm. And it's usually in association with another person I'm working with. And it's, it makes me pay attention to the person and remind my, reminds me that Jesus loves the person I'm helping. Yeah. And so that's been really powerful that he's been whispering that to me. Um, especially if they're sleeping up difficult. Um, and so it's just it's a really good remember. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Well, we could we could go on and on. Um, say, I think you all already named most of the little notes that I jotted down here. Oh, a couple. Here are a couple more things. Um, I think this is implied in a lot of what we were saying, but like prayer, and that is a main way that the church has always abided with Jesus. Um, and again, that can happen in the mornings and quiet times. It can happen throughout the day. Um, Here's, an, here's another thing. Uh, like, who did Jesus hang out with? Yeah. Tax collectors and sinners. Like, Jesus, remember, he was always going after the least and the last and the lost. Like, he was going um, after people who were far from God, who, whose experience was at least of being far from God. And... Um, I should have written this quote down. Uh, Leslie Newbigin says something along the lines of like, the place where we find Jesus is just on that, um, just on that front line of essentially mission of like, this is where, like we go where Jesus is already, where he's already wanting to reach people with his love and grace and we find him there. So we find him among the poor and the least and the last and the lost. Um, so there might be ways that Jesus is calling us to serve this year, and that might be something that we want to work into our life in a new way, as a, as a form of abiding with Jesus, staying with him, because he's actually ahead of us. Um, 
All right. I w so what Dan said made me think of something. Uh, oh, and I, I wasn't planning to share this, so I, I'm going to get details wrong. But, you know, tomorrow's MLK Day, and I was, um, I don't even remember who I was listening to. I was listening to a book, and they shared this story about King. And it's a well-known story that, that he talked about, but basically there was a night uh, where he received a phone call, a horrible phone call, um, basically, uh, you know, calling him like these horrible racial slurs and then threatening to kill him and his family if he continued to pursue the work of justice and civil rights. And it was so unsettling to him and so disturbing to him. And he was up for most of the night, but then he just started praying. And, uh, and he, he put himself in a position of like hearing from God and what he heard God say. And I wish I had the quote because <laughs> it's a lot more eloquent than this, but essentially it was like, keep going. You know, like, like, I see you, and I'm with you, and this is the, this is cause is just, so keep going. And that, that moment, King identified in his life as, like, being the moment that, like, gave him the courage to press on, even in the face of death threats, not just for himself, but for his family. And, like, what if, like, what if King had had a cell phone in his pocket and uh, instead of like, instead of attending to God in that moment, instead of abiding with Jesus Christ, he had like jumped on Twitter and tweeted it. Like, you won't believe the phone call I just got. Or, you know, like, I think digital distraction, the point is like, that's huge. Like, think, think of how much we miss just because we're not even putting ourselves in a position to abide with Jesus. Think of what King could have missed if he had had the TV on and blaring or if he had lived now and had his cell phone out instead of just in that moment of threat, of danger, turning his mind toward God and being able to receive what he needed from God. Anyway, that, that made me think of that, Dan. So I think, I think the digital distraction thing is huge. We'll have to come back to that in a different sermon. Um, the Christian tradition has always seen that our deepest desires can be satisfied only by God. Because we're made by God and we're made for God. Um, you weren't made for your cell phone. You have longings that are so much deeper than anything on Instagram can satisfy. Uh, desire begins with God and it ends with God. You know, um, St. Augustine famously said that our hearts will always be restless until they rest in God. He viewed the whole Christian life as this life of holy longing. Um, and so, again, desire itself isn't the problem. The, the mystic theologian, um, Meister Eckhart, said, the reason we so often do not see God is the faintness of our desire. It's not that our desire is too strong, it's that we don't desire God enough. C.S. Lewis gets at the same idea when he writes, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with Twitter and Instagram and drink and sex and ambition 
when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And so again, this invitation, this probing question, like what are you seeking? What do you desire? Here at the beginning of this new year, Jesus is just offering himself as the one, the only one who is worthy of our deepest desires. Um, Here, family, is the one we're looking for, who is also looking for us. And so come and see. Let's pray.